0: Right, and so um, today we are going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Don't stand yet. I know you guys like to stand, uh, but not yet. Uh, It's going to be in Matthew five, and uh, this is one of the longest sermons that Jesus ever preached. Okay, that's recorded in Scripture. In this one sermon, Jesus tackles what the blessed life is. Um, He teaches on marriage and divorce and anger and lust and revenge and how Christians ought to love their enemy caring for the poor, fasting, prayer, anxiousness, and about 10 other things, all right? So he does that all in one uh, sermon setting, and you guys thought Pastor Jason was long-winded, right? (laughs) That would take Pastor days to get through that of nonstop preaching. Well, Jesus covers it in one day, but we are going to zoom in on one section of the sermon. And before I read it, I want to kind of set the scene, all right? So at this point in Jesus life and ministry, um, great crowds would come to see him everywhere he went. All right? He was he was a big deal. They they had heard that he was giving sight to the blind and that he was raising the dead and and there was even one time where he fed over 5,000 people in one gathering, right? And so people are just naturally curious and they're like, "Who is this Jesus guy? I want to go see some of these amazing things." And not not only was he saying or doing amazing things. He was saying things that nobody had ever said before. And he was teaching with, with power and authority. And so like, I want to go see him teach. And so large crowds would come out to Jesus. All right. And it was, it was so hard for him to speak to the whole crowds that he would have to somehow get away from them. So he, uh, one time it tells us uh, in one of the gospels, he got in a boat, right? And he got a little bit away from the shore. That way everybody could see him and hear him. Um, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus climbs up the side of a mountain so that he can be above everybody and they can have an eye on him and hear what he's saying, right? Now, that, he, he typically did that, but in this passage, he does something a little different, and he does it intentionally. He calls his disciples up with him. He has them set in a group before him, and he preaches to them, right? So he's talking only to his followers, but he's doing it with an earshot of a lost and dying world. He's saying, My people, this is who you are to be, and this is what you are designed to do. All right. And I'm telling you in front of the lost world because I want you to know your responsibility to them. All right. So that is what is happening in our passage today. All right. Jesus says the words he says with the lost world present and listening in. And he gives his followers, their design and responsibility to this dark and dying world, all right? So Matthew five thirteen through 16, if you want to stand as we read, that's fine. If not, you may stay seated. Starting in verse 13, Jesus said to them, "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, "'how shall its saltiness be restored? "'It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out "'and trampled under people's feet.'" You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light uh, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father God, we pray that you would just give us wisdom as we look at this text. Uh, Jesus, I'm certain that you would say to us this morning exactly what you said to your followers. Um, There's a dark and hurting world out there. And we as your people who are so fortunate to know you, we have a responsibility to those who are hurting. And so I pray that you would stir our hearts up and teach us your truth, God. We pray this all in your name, amen. All right, so um, that is where we're going to be at this morning. And Jesus is here and he's explaining his role and, or sorry, his people's role and responsibility to a lost world, all right? So um, Jesus not only saves his people from something, being sin and death, he actually calls them to live a new way, right? He, he puts his life and the light in them and he says, you are to go out in this dark and dying world and you are to put off and be the presence of Christ. And as Jesus does this, he illustrates it in two different ways. He uses salt and And light. He says, My people are to be like salt, and they are to be like light in this world. right, so what does Jesus mean for his followers then and for his followers today? Let's start by looking at Jesus' first illustration of salt, all right? Jesus says Christians are called to be salty people, all right? In the day of Christ, there was two main functions for salt. It was used as a preservative to to keep food from rotting and going bad, and it was used to flavor things, all right, as a spice, okay? So um, the one we're probably less familiar with is the preservative, all right? Um, if, if you uh, live today, you are so fortunate to have a uh, technology, right? And I don't know if you guys have one of these. If not, you should get one. But in my kitchen, there's this great big white box that like, keeps my food from going bad, right? It's called a refrigerator, and I probably go to it too often, just to be honest. But it's a, it's a great invention, right? And, and if I want to keep something from spoiling or going bad, it's really easy. I just open the fridge and I throw it in, right? Now, once it goes bad it goes real bad. But for a while, it keeps stuff good, right? And so um, that's what we have as a preservative, okay? Well, in the day of Jesus, they did not have refrigerators, okay? And there are still places in the world where they do not have refrigerators to keep stuff um, from spoiling. And so I remember a few years ago, I was on a mission trip in Guatemala, and we were up high in the mountains, and we're far away from electricity, and we're with these tribes and stuff, and, and we went to like this marketplace, all right, and it was a meat market, and you have several city blocks of meat just hanging in the heat of the day, right? Right? And so what what I learned really quick by my senses and my observation is meat spoils super fast when it is not preserved, right? So like I started to smell strange smells when I walked by the meat, right? And And you can look at it and it's discolored and it's starting to rot. And I was like, I am not, you couldn't pay me to eat this stuff, right? And so if they want to preserve something, what they have to do is pour a ton of salt on it. Right? and rub the salt into it, and it actually acts as a preservative. It keeps the meat from spoiling as fast. It actually slows down the process of death and decay and rot. And so one of the things that I believe Jesus is saying to his followers who would have understood that is that followers of Christ are called to do the same thing. We live in a world that's dead and rotting and decaying. And and Jesus is saying, you need to spread out over the earth. Be the salt of the earth because you you need to to act as a preservative, all right? You need to help slow down the process of death and decay in our world. It doesn't take long to see that our world has issues. You can um, turn on the news for about 10 seconds, right? And you'll see that there's brokenness and death and decay in the world. Or you can get on your Facebook and just scroll a few times and you'll see all sorts of horrible things, um, and that's true. We, we live in a world where, where people get sick and, and people are dying and families are falling apart. We live in a world where people are going hungry and people are here filled with hatred and violence and people are unhappy and ungrateful. We live in a world that seems to love sex but hate marriage. We live in a world where people love to make babies but they hate the responsibility of caring for them. Um, it is really clear that our world is broken, right? And, and what are all those things except the, the, the effect of rot and death and decay in our broken world? That, that's what they are, all right? And so um, what is our role as Christians? I mean, we see all these things. We know they exist. What are we called to do? Are we called to complain about it? We're really good at that, aren't we? Right? To complain about, just to point it out and say, that is wrong, right? This world is so broken and so nasty and so dirty. I'm glad I'm not part of it, right? Like, is that what we're called to do? Just point out the mess and complain about it being there? What about this? Avoid it altogether. We're really good at that, too. Like, here's the ugly, big, nasty mess. And we say, well, you know where I'm going to be? Just about as far away from that mess as I can get." Like, I'm going to stay. If the dirty, nasty mess is over there, I'm going to run away from it. Right? Is that the Christian's responsibility? Or what about this? let's just wait till someone else fixes it, right? It's a a big problem, right? But it's not my problem and my life's pretty good. It's not affecting me. So hopefully someone else will step in and clean it up, okay? No, that is not what we are called to do. Jesus says here that we're called to get involved, okay? That, That his people, followers of Jesus, should be the first people to jump into the mess, right? We should see the brokenness, the death, the decay, and we should rush to help, all right? This is all throughout the scriptures. It says, we're to be the ones who are caring for the least of these. We're to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to visit those who are in prison, to care for the orphan, the widow. And so where, where homes are broken and where marriages are falling apart and when children don't have homes, right? And when things are broken and mass, messy and nasty, Christians should say, hey, we'll step in and help. And why should they do that? Well, it's because we're the people who have the answer, Right? Like, our, our world has big problems, and we believe that in Jesus we have the right solution. Like, we really believe Jesus is the answer for all those things, for, for broken marriages and for angry hearts, right? And, and for hearts that are filled with greed or lust or bitterness. Like, Jesus is the answer. And so the Christian, someone who's convinced of the good news of the gospel, should step in and be willing to share the news of a God who loves the messy world. Right, a, a God who actually doesn't run away from messes, but a God who willingly stepped into this world in order to clean up the dirty messes, right? Like, like that, that's who Jesus is. He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from those things. He gets into them with the intention of getting dirty. That's what he does on the cross. Second Corinthians 5.21, a great verse says, For our sake, so for the sake of broken sinners like us, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God's son himself, Jesus, took on the full mess of our sin on himself so that in him, having been joined to Jesus by faith, we might become the righteousness of God. We, we might have the mess of our sin and the death we deserve forever lifted off of us, right? And, and that's the message that, that we believe as Christians, and it's good news. And don't you think that there's people in our world who need to hear that? Right? Like, Surely there's people at your work who have broken things going on in their life, right? And like, and, they, and, and like they need to know, they would love to know the, the answer of this God who can fix it, right? Surely, surely you have neighbors who need to hear, hear the good news. Okay, what, what about family members, right? Like our world is just filled with darkness all around. And so surely there are people who need to hear this message. As Romans 10, 13 through 14 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on whom, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so it, people, can't, people can't trust in a Jesus they don't know of. They, they can't respond to the good news of the gospel when, when they've never heard it unpacked, right? And so those of us who are so fortunate to be connected to Jesus and have heard such a glorious truth, we should be the first people out on the front lines in the brokenness in this dead and dying world sharing that truth. And we have a perfect role model for it, right? Jesus himself, right? That where, where would you find Jesus in his life and ministry? Was it not the places no one else would go? Like he's with the sinners, he's with the tax collectors, he's with the prostitutes, he's with the adulterous people, right? It's like the, the lepers and the sick and the diseased, like Jesus, everybody else is trying to get as far away from him as they can, right? They're not even allowed to be in town with him. Jesus goes out to him. And, and that's who Jesus is. He, he doesn't run away from such people. He draws near to him. And whenever he does, his presence has a preserving effect. Do you notice that when Jesus is around brokenness, it's like chased away? It's really cool, like, right? When, when Jesus is around the demon-possessed man, the demons don't want to be there. They're like, let's get out of here, guys. This is a bad idea, right? Or, or when, when, when people have sickness and disease and Jesus stands up and he says, be gone, like it flees. Right? He has this preserving effect. He's chasing away the death and decay. And if he's inside of us, right, if we really believe that we're united to Jesus, joined by him, we should have the same effect. We should not only chase away the death and decay, but Christians should bring a pleasantness with them. Because salt also has another use. Right? It's not just a preservative. Salt is used as a spice. All right, my wife thinks that I use way too much of it, but I just say that I like to add flavor. All right, and so this passage backs me up. But um, salt is used as a spice; it can add flavor. All right, it can take something that is bland and boring and tasteless, and it can transform it into something beautiful. And so, Christians, where whenever we go out amongst this world, um, we should have that kind of effect too. We should we should flavor the world in a certain way. All right, that's, that's what God's people should do. And so surely you have known someone who's gifted in this area, right? There's, there's these kinds of people who, when they step into a room, like they bring a certain flavor or atmosphere with them, right? Like one of, one of joy, one of, one of happiness. Like they, they bring those things with them, and everybody in the room takes notice, Right? And and they can actually change the room when they step into like I've seen it. So people are like complaining and they're bitter and they're grumpy. And then this person comes in the room and they start talking and they're filled with joy. And like that bitterness and stuff kind of chases away. And then by the time they leave the room, they're like everybody's not so miserable anymore, right? Or or people can be really sad and despairing and disappointed and someone can walk in who carries the joy of Jesus in their life and they can say a few things and shine the light of Christ in that dark place and and it seems that, that that stuff is pushed back and they they influence or flavor or change the atmosphere of that room into something beautiful all right and and i really believe that all of us have that gift okay and it's in varying degrees like some people have it like super good and some people don't have much of it but i think we all carry a certain atmosphere with us wherever we go, right? And I think we are all kind of putting off a certain, certain uh, vibes, if, if you will, okay? So we all do this, and it can be for good or for bad, all right? So um, we, we've all seen this happen too. You can have a, a grumpy or a wicked person walk into a room, and then like it's contagious, right? Everybody catches the grumpy, Right? Or, or like think think of a wicked man walking in um, to, to work with the guys, right? Like now certain things are, are, are acceptable to be said just because he's there. Like people might start talking in coarse ways or making uh, coarse jokes that aren't appropriate because in his presence that's okay, all right? And the same thing's true of a righteous person, right? If, if you come in and, and you're, you're righteous and you're holy and you're trusting and honoring God, like certain things probably won't be said in your presence, right? So, like, the guys at the bar probably talk differently around their friends there than they do with their, gra- with their grandma, right? Like, there's, there's different people, and you, like, you, you, when you're around people, they've got this, this atmosphere around them, okay? And so we are to be the kind of people who do that, who present um, an atmosphere of the joy of Jesus or who flavor things in a beautiful way. And so I'd ask you, uh, fathers, what kind of atmosphere do you bring when you come home from work, right? You're getting ready to step for that door, through that door, your kids are there, your wife's there, maybe you had a crummy day at work, all right? What do you what are you gonna bring into? How are you gonna shape that environment when you step into it? Ladies, when when you're at work, do you give off a presence at work where your friends are uncomfortable um, to to gossip around you or to speak ill of other women? Like what what kind of things are acceptable in your presence? Men, what kind of things do you encourage when you walk into the shop at your work? What kind of things do you approve of? What, what do you laugh at, right? What, do you, what, what environment are, are you putting off? How are you flavoring things? As believers who are united to Jesus himself, we should be the kind of people who not only chase away death and decay, but we should leave something beautiful in its place. We should be like salt, So that's the the first thing that Jesus says. This is your responsibility as a believer, right? There's another illustration that Jesus uses in this passage and that is one of light, all right? He says his believers are also called to be lights in a dark world. Look at verse uh, 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house, all right? So uh, Jesus really gives his followers this incredible compliment, all right? Because it's actually something he says of himself in the Gospel of John, chapter eight. Jesus said to them, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, all right? So Jesus Christ himself is the light that our dark world needs, right? They, they need to see Christ clearly for who he is and understand what he's done. And so Jesus says that, that what he's done is, is if you follow after him, if you trust in Christ, that light, his light that is much needed, is implanted in you. Like he fills you with his life and you come, you come alive. Like he fills you with this light and you actually become something that the world needs to see. Because ever since the fall of man, our dark world has been thrown into complete darkness. And if that's not enough, we're also blinded by the, the problem of our sin. And so we live in a world where people are like, they, they, they have no idea what's going on. They're, they're grasping and stumbling around, looking for truth and looking for hope, and they have no idea where to find it, right? I mean, they, they don't know their right from their left or up from down or good from bad because they are surrounded by so much darkness, and so Jesus looks at his followers and he says to them and he says to us, if, if you are so fortunate to have light and life in you, then, then you got to go out and help other people see it. Okay? You, you got to be a light to this dark world. And, and as you go out and you let the light of Christ shine, people will take notice. They will see the light in you. Right, it's really hard to miss a bright light in a dark place. Right, like if you're in complete and total darkness and you see a beam of light, it's going to catch your attention. Right, Jesus gives the the illustration here of a city set on a hilltop, and so we've all seen this when we're tra- you're traveling. Right, it's it's dark, it's the middle of the night, and and there you see it. Right, it it could be twenty miles away, and if it's a if it's a big city, you can see it just beaming bright. Right. And, and you can't miss it against the backdrop of blackness and darkness that's all around you. And so Jesus says that his people are to be that kind of thing. Like the, the, dark, world, the dark and lost world should not miss us. It should not be unaware that we're here. Like it should, it should notice that this world is filled with God's people. And if it doesn't, there's a problem. So Jesus gives us a second illustration. He says, if you have that light of Christ in you, if you're filled with his life, don't cover it up, right? Like your, your job is to shine forth. That's what light's meant to do. And you, you don't do anything that would hinder your shining forth because the dark world desperately needs to see the light of Christ. And so Jesus gives a second illustration of that of a lamp in a dark room, all right? And so we all know the purpose of having lights in a room, right? It's so you don't stub your toes, right? So you don't bump into the couch when you're walking, right? So it's, it's so you can see what's there. And so Jesus said, it wouldn't make much sense at all to light a lamp in your house and then put a basket over it, right? That's what he's telling his disciples. How foolish would that be to, to take the thing which has a purpose that's good and useful and then to cover it up, right? It's, it's foolish. It's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't work to take something and completely get rid of its purpose. And so then he looks at his followers and he says to them, don't let that be you. Don't lose sight of your design and your your purpose. Don't live in this world and be unhelpful, right? Don't live in this world having the light of Christ yet refusing to let it shine. That that just doesn't make sense. When things that were made to do a certain thing refuse to do what they were built to do. So here about a month ago, um, I went downstairs to use my toaster, right, in the morning. I was going to make some breakfast. And... uh, Plug my toaster in, I put the bread in, and I push the, I don't know what that's called, the toaster lever thing, I don't know what it's called, the lever, that makes the toast disappear, so I push that button, it goes down, and so like at first, I'm like, okay, and you know, everything's normal, but then it starts making a really weird sound, and then I'm like, okay, that's not normal, and then I like smell electricity, like it doesn't smell like toast, it's like something's not okay here, and then like big plumes of black smoke start coming out the top, and I'm like, all right, this is not good. So I unplug it and I do some detective work and I find out that one of my children, like they came up with their own invention, right? So instead of just toasting the toast, they're like, well, it's hot so it could melt the butter too, right? So they put the bread in there and then they take the knife and they put a bunch of butter in there, right? And it worked for them. Like it toasted the toast and melted the butter, right? But it, that was the last piece of toast they ever made, right? It worked for them, but it didn't work for any of the rest of us. And so you, you know what I did with it? I trashed it, right? Because what good is a toaster that won't make toast, right? It, it doesn't serve its purpose anymore. And so that, that's what happens. When something won't do what it was built to do, it is no longer useless or useful for anything. And Jesus says this all the time. He says, what good is a tree if it won't bear fruit? Chop it down and throw it into the fire, right? What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? Throw it out on the path to be trampled. What good is a vine if it won't produce fruit? Chop it down and throw it into the fire. What good is a light if you put it under a basket? And then the implications are, what do we make of a follower of Christ who's not willing to follow in Jesus' footsteps? What what do we think about a person who claims to be filled with the light and life of Jesus, yet it never comes out in their day-to-day lives? Well, that makes about as much sense as flavorless salt or a light hidden under a basket, all right? It, it, it doesn't make sense. The, the, the light of Christ inside you is meant to be put on display. Look at verse 16. All right, starting in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Hey, before we read this part, I want to pray for Lynn um, real quick, so let's do that. Father God, we, we do lift Lynn up to you right now, and um, I know she really struggles with seizures, and so God, just just wrap her in your arms of grace and, and help those who are in there to care for her. Um, God, you're so good to us, and you love us, and And we know that you're the answer to to all sorts of brokenness in our world. And so um, just give us wisdom to know how to care for Lynn. And and I pray that you would help this to pass quickly and keep her from pain and suffering in this moment. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So verse 16 says uh, that you and I, that followers of Christ, we are intended to live visible lives. All right. So that means that if Jesus is inside of you, he should come out in all the different areas of your life. So like. Your family should be able to tell you have Jesus, right? Like they should see it come out in the way that you act and talk and and do things, right? So the people at your workplace, if you're a Christian, they should know you're a follower of Christ. Right? They, they should see it come out in you, all right? In, in your community, even if you're at the, the grocery store and the, lo, the line at Walmart's really long, right? You should conduct yourself in a way uh, that would honor Christ, okay? If you're on Oklahoma and you get pulled over and everybody's slowing down to see who it is who got pulled over, act in a way that honors Christ, right? So that that's what we are to do. We are to live in a way that honors Christ, okay? He says that we are to um, let our light shine so that others may See our good works and glorify God. All right, what does Jesus mean there by intentionally doing visible good works? All right, so some people think this or think this means doing good things to be seen. All right, so I'm going to do good things, but I'm going to make sure everybody knows about it and I'm going to have all eyes on me. So if I'm going to help the old lady cross the street, it's not enough to do it but I got I to gotta Facebook Live it, right? So everybody can see how good of a person I am, right? So, like, is it that? Is it virtue signaling? Is it making a big deal of who we are? Okay, absolutely not. Okay, those kind of good works have ugly motives, okay? The works that Jesus is talking about are motivated by drawing attention of the lost world, not to ourselves, but to, to our God. Right? Not making us look good, but making our God look good. Okay, And so the, the good works then that Jesus is talking about here are the fruit of a Christian's life that come from being in Jesus. Right, So their, their, their origins are Christ, and they come out in a way that results in God being glorified. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Jesus, he, he plucks us out of hell. He saves us from sin and death. And, and then he has a new design and job for us, right? He says, I, I have things that I want you to do as my people, right? Good things that will glorify me. That's what it's talking about. And people will notice, right? When you, are, when you are going forth and shining the light of Christ out in this dark world, people will not be able to ignore it. And they can respond in a couple of different ways. Number one, it is likely that many people will hate what they see, all right? Um, th- this was true of Jesus himself. It says in John three nineteen through 20, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. So some people love living in darkness, and they're going to have a very negative response to light, right? You've, you've seen people have a negative response to light before. Have you ever woke your kids up in the morning? Right? You flip on the light in their room, and what do they do? They close their eyes as tight as they can. They rip their cover over their head, right? And they say, leave me alone. Turn that light off, right? It's blinding me, all right? Leave me alone, mom and dad. And so that, that is the, the, the same response that many people in our world have to the light of Christ. Man, when they see the light of Jesus, they, they, they wince at it. They close their eyes. It's painful for them, right? They, they hide themselves from it. They, they were perfectly fine and comfortable living in the darkness. And when the light comes on, it irritates them. Because as John 3, 19 through 20 said, many people love living in the darkness because it provides a nice cover for their dark deeds, right? Um, nobody wants to be doing something wicked, wrong, or evil and then have a spotlight put on you, right? Um, that, that's why criminals rob stuff at night, right? And people do wicked things under the cover of darkness. They, they want to be concealed and people hate it when their wrong or their sin or their brokenness is pointed out. People hate it so much that they get violent against it. Um, I, I got a text this morning uh, concerning some of our partners in India, and, and that's like a real place that is a dark place. I mean, heavy, deep darkness. And, and when the light of Christ shines you there and people notice, like, like it could cost you your life. Like people get drugged out of prayer meetings and beaten and thrown into prison and murdered for following Jesus there. And so you might ask, well, well, then why let your light shine? Why, why do the people in India keep having prayer meetings in the open, right? Why, why do, why do they, they go forth and, and tell the gospel to people who hate them, all right? Because some people do not respond that way to light. Some people will see that same light of Christ shining, and they will respond in another way. It'll attract them to Jesus. The, the light of Christ will, Christ will be so beautiful to them that they'll say, I want what that person has, I, I, I want to know more about this Jesus that's inside of you, and they'll see the good works flowing out of God's people, and they'll respond by glorifying God. That, that's happening across our dark world. It really is. like The, the light of Christ is still shining in his people. Um, I, I saw this past week at kids camp, we had uh, 13 kids who made a profession of faith. Um, I got to meet with five of them this week and just walk through the gospel. And, and like I, I can see it. I can see God working in the hearts of these kids and they want Jesus. They're like, I want more of him. He's beautiful to me. At one time he wasn't and now he is. And so God's working. He's on the move. We see it in India as I just spoke. We're in the midst of a lockdown with persecution on the rise, with poverty all around, in a place where demons are literally worshipped and Christians are hated, in the midst of that thick, dark, dark, dark world. Solomon texts us this morning and says, hey, we need to build baptisms. We got to build a bunch of them because we can't get these people to the water sources and we have tons of people coming to faith. Like It's awesome. It's awesome. God is on the move. All right, His light is shining forth into the darkness and people are responding in faith in Jesus and trusting in him. And so then the question becomes, will you be part of it? Man, are, are, are you going to go out into this world that's dead and dying and provide any help? Are you going to go out with the, with the good news of the gospel and be ready to, to share that with, with people who desperately need it? Are you going to be willing to shine the light of Christ in dark times, even if it costs you something? That's, what, that's our design. That's what we're built to do. As I end, I'm going to end with Ephesians 5, verse 8, I believe it is. And so if you put that up there. All right, and so this, this, this is a, a cool verse to me. It says, for at one time you were all in darkness. That was all our reality at one time. We, we all lived in the same darkness of the world. It says, but now you are light. God has come into our lives and transformed us and made us new people. And what's the implications of all that? Walk then as children of the light. Man, that's, that's my challenge to you guys. If, if that's true for you today, man, if Jesus has, has put life and light in you, let's go out and live like it's true. Let's live in a way that's different from the world so that they cannot help but notice the life and light inside of us and and ask questions, and we'll be glad to give them the answer. So let me pray for us, um, and and we'll have a time of uh, worship and response. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for your kindness and your grace. Um, Help us to embrace this challenge. God, this is our design as your people. Help us not be the kind of people who run away from broken and ugly things, but with with the good news of the gospel in our hand, we charge charge into that death and decay to bring news of life. And let us be the kind of people who don't flee from darkness, but run straight into the darkness with our light of Christ shining brightly in hopes that the world might see. Put that heart in us, God. And, And as we all go out and as your church goes out over the world, that we would just be a place where people can find hope. In your name we pray, amen.